Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As student pastor, Justin Stevers shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Uh, I think every Christian should think about this quote often, and I'm happy to repeat it again for the youth. I hope they um, will take it to heart. But before I quote this quote as the introduction, um, I want to tell you who said the quote. Um, There was a a guy, an old dead guy, I guess at this point. His name was C.T. Studd. And C.T. Studd was um, a stud at cricket. He was a beast at cricket. Now, cricket is a stupid game that no one knows how to play, right? It's like it's not really baseball-ish, and I think sometimes home runs are bad. But cricket is a weird game that British Empire used to play. And C.T. Studd was the Tim Tebow of cricket, like Tim Tebow at Florida. I know it's, it's crazy how some of these kids don't get the cultural reset that Tim Tebow had, the cultural hold Tim Tebow had when he was at Florida, but everyone loved and talked about Tebow, right? Um, but but C.T. Studd was the Tim Tebow of cricket in the late 1800s, and um, Studd was making a name for himself. He was really good, and instead of continuing in cricket, instead of being the, um, as the kids would say, the goat, the greatest of all time at cricket, um, instead of doing that, he decided to step away from cricket to be a missionary. He decided to step away and serve the Lord. And uh, Stud had this very famous quote, this very powerful quote, as part of a poem that I think many of us have heard, and I hope all of us take to heart. And the quote goes like this, and it summarizes his uh, purpose in life. He said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that, man, that is a powerful quote. If I was a calligraphy on the walls guy at my house, every single wall would be covered with that quote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And this is part of what Paul has been conveying to his spiritual son, Timothy. Paul is conveying this point in his last letter as he writes to his son Timothy before he dies. And today we're going to get a taste of this true reality in Paul's life as his life will soon be passed. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 4. It's towards, kind of towards the end of your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4. As you're turning there, uh, we'll recap a little bit. But like I said, Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. Timothy is a pastor in the church of Ephesus. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue in the gospel. Fight for the gospel. False teachers are creeping their way into the church. People are, are looking down on Timothy because he's a young man. 
He's aged about 30. So, you know, obviously, like, super young, doesn't know what he's talking about, age 30. But he's a young man, age 30, and these, these false teachers are coming into the church, and they're saying, they're, they're, they're contradicting the gospel. And Paul is saying, no, fight for the gospel. Continue in the gospel. Pastor Timothy, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. The Holy Spirit, that's not a fear, but that is of power and love and self-control. So, Timothy... Be faithful. Be faithful in loving the Word of God and living out the Word of God. Preach God's Word because all of it has been given to us so that we can know Him and love Him. People might not want it, like we talked about, I think, last time. People might have itching ears and want to hear anything but God's Word. People might not want it, but Timothy, people need it. So preach the Word. Their souls depend on it. And now we're at our text today. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 6 through 22. Now don't don't get worried. I'm not going to read all of it. I'll just read those first three verses. But we're going to finish uh, this, this series of 2 Timothy that I've been in. I hope you've been blessed by it. I know I have. So if you're there, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word together. You know, back in the day, I've probably said this before, but um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, Augustine, one of the, the early church fathers, uh, he would, would preach, and he would preach from a sitting position for two hours while the congregation stood in reverence. So I hope you're like loosened up. I hope you're ready to stand the whole time. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, let's read God's word together. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, we'll just do 6, 7, and 8. Paul writing to Timothy says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us to sustain us and to give us life, Lord. I pray that we will hear you, we will hear from you, and that you will speak to our hearts and we will leave here loving you more, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. So I was um, looking to finish out 2 Timothy. I was looking at this text and I'm like, man, how do I take this text that's full of these like little personal instructions. How do I take this and how do we preach that? How do, how do we get, you know, um, bring my cloak to me, Timothy? How do we take that and say, oh yes, this is how I should live my life now? How do we take this text and apply it to our lives? This, this, this text where Paul is giving his like sign off, his final farewell, his last instructions. Okay, I can't uh, bring Paul a cloak, so what does it mean to me? Why has God given us this in his word? 
Well, I think a couple things. I think one, this um, shows, this partly shows that the biblical authors were real living people with real lives. Like they, they were living in history. They were people like you and me. They lived in reality. They weren't just like kicking it back in this spiritual, supernatural, like ivory tower, giving us philosophies and giving us theories like removed from reality. They were living in the real world and things were really going on around them. Things that you and I don't even know what happened. They lived in history. And uh, God gave us people like you and me. Uh, he gave his word through these kinds of people. And then remember that all scripture is God-breathed. Even this was given to us by God. Even the, the difficult parts of scripture, even um, the, the boring parts of scripture, when we're going through our, like, Bible in a year reading plans, and we get to the genealogies, even those parts of scripture are given to us by God. Um, I was just listening to something the other day where there was this, this Muslim girl was giving her testimony, and she gave her life to Christ after hearing a random story in Numbers 27 about Zelohaphed's daughters. I don't know if I've heard of anyone coming to Christ by hearing the story of Zelophehad. Sorry, I said that wrong the first time. Zelophehad's daughters. But she came to Christ with this obscure story in Numbers 27. Um, great preacher, pastor, R.C. Sproul said he came to Christ um, through the verse in Ecclesiastes, and it says, when a tree falls down, there it lays. And he came to Christ from that verse is what the Lord used in his life. Um, I remember a long time ago hearing about these missionaries who were with the, the, these tribes of people. And they kept sharing Jesus, sharing Jesus, and building these relationships. And finally, they learned the language enough. They started to translate the Bible. And they started in Matthew. And in Matthew 1, if you know, if you've uh, been reading your Bible through a year plan, and you have the one that does the Old Testament and New Testament, you start in Matthew, you know that first part is genealogy, right? It's just a bunch of names. Um, you know, this person begat this person, right? Well, when this tribe finally saw that there was a genealogy of Jesus, in their mind it clicked. They said, wait, you don't, you don't write genealogies for for fake people. You don't write genealogies for ghosts. You write genealogies for real people. I want to know about this Jesus. So these random things that, that we often like skip over, we overlook, you know, God uses them for different people at different times. So God gives us his word perfectly. It's all given to us. And now we don't want to over-spiritualize or allegorize. Um, I don't want to like take that part where it says, uh, bring me the cloak and say, okay, cloak means um, something comforting and you need to encourage your pastors more. No, I don't think that's the, the meaning here. I don't want to allegorize it, but I think we can find real world meaning for Christ-centered living, even in verses 9 through 22. 
So uh, with that out of the the way, let's kind of jump into it. Um, Verse 6 starts off with the word for. And for um, means because. Paul is continuing his argument. He was saying, Timothy, I've said all these things to you. Last, Last little section, last little paragraph, I said, be faithful in living and learning and preaching the word. So, so be faithful, Timothy, for, because, because I'm on my way out. Because it's about my time to go. Here is the baton, Timothy. I trust you will faithfully carry it on. And I think, um, really quick, as we're reflecting on, on this part, as we're reflecting on the mortality of Paul, Paul, the great apostle Paul, the one who wrote most of the, the epistles in the New Testament, um, actually the one who wrote the second most in the New Testament. Who thinks they know who wrote the most in the New Testament? Going once, going twice? What? Luke, right? Luke wrote the most words in the New Testament. Bible trivia, um, 10 gold stars over there to Viola. Um, (laughs) But yeah, um, Paul wrote the second most words in the New Testament. Um, But this Paul is about to go. And the church isn't built on a man even as great as Paul. A church isn't built on a pastor, even as great as Paul. A pastor can be here for 40 years or for four years, and it's not built on a personality. It's not built on a church member, no matter how great and loyal and faithful and God-honoring they are. The church is not built on any one person. Um, There's an old saying, um, I'm going to butcher it, but something like, the Lord buries the servant. No, the Lord buries the worker and the work continues, right? So we're never gonna build and our goal is never to build our church on a personality, but on the person of Christ and his word. And that's what Paul is all about. Paul is passing the baton. It's not about him. The church has never been about him. It's been all about Christ. So be faithful while you're here, and fight for the church that will last. Um, And while we're here, while we're on earth, let's look at three lessons that we learn from Paul and his example in this passage, which we must remember as we live out the Christian life. So, number one, we must follow Paul's example to finish well. Verses 6 and 7, For I am ready to be offered. In the time of my departure is at hand, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Remember to finish well. Paul knows the end is near. He is on death row. And he can look back and honestly say that he fought the good fight. He ran the good race. Christ has carried him through the highs and the lows of Christian life and ministry. He's seen awesome things, right? He's seen salvations. He's seen lives changed. He uh, has 
started churches. He's seen pastors raised up. He's seen things that he said he can't even talk about. They were so glorious. Paul's seen all these amazing things, and he's also seen suffering. He's also faced persecution. He's experienced sickness. He's been beaten and arrested, and he's been abandoned by his closest friends. He has gone through it, but Christ has carried him through it all. One pastor says, uh, verse 16 might be the saddest verse in all the Bible. Verse 16 says, at my first answer or uh, trial, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Paul was eager. He was excited to go to Rome. He was excited to go to Rome to preach the gospel. Like that was one of his his passions in life was to make it to Rome. And finally, things were lining up. He might not have chose, you know, imprisonment to get to Rome. He might might have wanted to go first class uh, in a private jet. But, But things were lining up, and he was finally able to to do what he was passionate about. He's getting the chance to go to the the most powerful city and the most powerful empire in the world. And not only that, he's going into the most powerful court in the most powerful city and the most powerful empire in the world to speak to the most powerful people in the world. Like, that's what Paul is all about. He is excited for this. He's going to share the gospel. And he shows up to his trial, and no Christians are there to stand beside him. No one is there to have his back. He is completely abandoned. Not one friend showed up, and he is alone and forsaken. And realize that this happens in the Christian ministry. And we are all called to a ministry, whether it's pastoral ministry or whether it's ministry to to family, uh, whatever. We're all called to be missionaries where we're at. We're all called to Christian ministry. And this happens in Christian ministry. There may come times when even the great apostle Paul is forsaken and stabbed in the back. People at work might stop talking to you. Your family might cut you off. People might um, talk behind your back, accuse you behind your back. This can and this will happen, but verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. When you are at your lowest, know that the Lord is standing right next to you. Again, if Christ is for me, like we talked about this morning, if Christ is for me, who can be against me? Yes, those, that pain that Paul felt, that loneliness that Paul felt, that those, the betrayal he felt were real emotions that he should be feeling. Like, no one's trying to um, neglect that. He was truly hurt. And they were really real. But our victory in Christ is even more real than our hurt. Christ is with you. He is praying for you. So live in this victory. And in this passage, um, we see two pictures. 
of um, two examples to look at. We see a picture of a guy who started well and finished poorly, and then we have a picture of a guy who started poorly but finished well. So we see these two pictures. Verse 10, we see, uh, Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed unto Thessalonica. So we see this guy named Demas. And Demas is named a couple times in Paul's letters. Um, In Colossians 4.14, Demas is with Paul, and he is one of the ones working with Paul who gives the church of Colossae a greeting. Paul says, um, Demas and Luke and I greet you. In Philemon 24, um, Paul calls Demas a fellow laborer, a fellow worker. Demas worked with Paul. He helped start. He helped build up churches. He helped share the gospel. He led people to Christ. He built up and encouraged churches, but he fell away. He deserted Paul. He deserted the faith. And like like Jesus' parable of the soils, where the the seed fell in the weeds and the thorns, um, grew up and and choked out the the sprouts, right? Just like that, the cares of the world and the love of the world choked out Demas. And he chose to love sin and the world more than he loved Christ. And he deserted Paul. And the Bible is crystal clear. When Christ truly save someone, he will keep that person until the end. But the Bible is also honest that there will be people who think they have experienced that great salvation, but they have never known Christ. They've never experienced his salvation. They've never given their life to him, even though they could be like Demas and have started churches, have led people to Christ, have started off so well, their fruit, their end fruit, will show that they never knew him. And don't ever be so arrogant to think, that could never be me. Have confidence in Christ and his saving power, but, but be suspect of your flesh and your love for sin. Be active in killing your sin before your sin kills you. And look at this, look at this sober warning. That was, that was depressing, Right? But then there's an encouraging picture. Verse 11, Paul says, uh, right in the middle there, Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable. He is useful to me for the ministry. Bring Mark. This, this name is familiar, Mark or John Mark. Um, he had a ton of opportunities in the early church. Um, the book of Acts shows that, that the, the church in Jerusalem would meet a lot of times in his mother's house, um, when Peter was miraculously like broken out of prison, he went to Mark's mother's house where the disciples were, where they were praying. Um, Mark was an eyewitness to Jesus, and Mark went on Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas went on their missionary journey. They brought John Mark. But for some reason, during that missionary journey, 
Mark abandoned Paul and he went home. And that journey went on, and later, um, you know, Paul and Barnabas are back. They're getting ready for another missionary journey. And Barnabas is saying, hey, let's bring Mark again. And Paul says, what are you talking about? Why would we bring Mark? He left us. He is a deserter. I am not bringing Mark with me. And Paul says, no way, Jose. And this led Barnabas and Mark to go one way, and it led Paul and Silas to go another way, and they they split ways. But Mark would go on to be restored. He is later, he's faithful. When Paul is first arrested, um, when Paul is writing from, um, to the church in Colossae, um, Mark is there with him. Paul later calls him a co-worker. Peter calls Mark his son. And here at the end of Paul's life, Mark makes the short list of reliable friends. So Mark's story should encourage Christians. It should encourage falling Christians. It should encourage falling Christians with hope. Despite rejection and shame and hurt and failure, Mark is restored and loved, and he's put back in the game. And as we know, um, this failure, this deserter, Mark, he would go on to write the gospel of Mark. He would go on to write about um, what Christ has done in the gospel of Mark. And if Christ can restore and use Mark, he can do the same for you. You and I are never too far gone to return to Christ today, so live for him now. But let's move on to the second point. Got to speed up. That we must learn from Paul's example is as we live for Christ, we must pass on the gospel. And this is, this is uh, part of how all of us run and we finish well. We're all called to faithfully pass on the gospel to our friends, neighbors, family, and to the next generation. We are called to pass on the gospel. Well, haven't we heard this point over and over again in 2 Timothy? Yes, we have, because that's one of the main purposes that Paul is writing, 2 Timothy. Paul is passing the baton to the next generation. Paul has been faithful to teach and to live out the truths of the gospel. And now it's his time to trust God as he continues to work without Paul. Okay, well, how can we live this out? I'm glad you asked. Three things. Uh, One, we ourselves must know and grow in the gospel. We must know it experientially. We must, like, experience the, the, the salvation that the gospel offers us, and we must know it in our head and in our, in our lives. We must live it out. We must articulate it and live it out. Um, verse 13 is a fun verse. Uh, Paul says in verse 13, um, bring with thee the books. Spurgeon has a good quote on this little verse. Uh, Spurgeon says, even an apostle must read. He is inspired 
and yet he needs books. He has seen the Lord, and yet he needs books. The apostle says to Timothy, and so he says to every Christian leader, give yourself to reading. The person who never reads will never be read. The one who never quotes will never be quoted. This is a good one. Those who will not use thoughts from the brains of others will prove that they have no brains of their own. What is true of ministry leaders is true for all Christians. We need to read. We must study as much as possible sound theological works and expositions of the Bible. We are persuaded that the best way to spend leisure time is either reading or praying. We may get much instruction from books that afterward we may use as a true weapon in our Lord and Master's service. So Spurgeon isn't, uh, well, he's kind of being mean there, but he's not just being mean there. Um, He's saying, grow in your knowledge of the Lord by reading and by praying. And we start, yes, reading the Bible, the true truth, the standard for truth. But also, we read those who expound the Bible, who have studied context, who know the original languages and can help us with our understandings. We read the Bible so that, and we read beyond the Bible, even though we live in the Bible, Spurgeon says in another quote, um, we do this so we can articulate the gospel better and better. So we can articulate biblical truths. Paul wants to read, so should we. Um, Start small is my encouragement to all of us. I'm a slow reader, I'm a bad reader, but a little bit a day keeps the doctor away. No, Um, a little bit a day goes a long way. Um, There's some recommendations in the coffee corner over there. I got hundreds of books in my office that I could recommend to you. But, But read so that you can articulate the gospel better and better and pass on the gospel. Two, pass on the gospel by making gospel conversations a regular part of your daily life. Making Bible talks a regular part of your daily life. With your kids, with your grandkids, with your friends and family, talk about the Bible. Talk about what you're reading in your devotional. Talk about um, at lunch after Sunday service. Ask what stood out in the sermon. Talk about that. Don't be afraid to uh, Jesus juke a conversation um, in high school and college. Have you ever heard the word ju- Jesus juke? Um, we would make fun of people like, I don't know, someone's eating a steak and like, oh, this steak is so good. And then you answer like, oh, amen, but God's grace is so much better. And like you're Jesus juking that conversation. And we, we looked at it like really cringe. Um, you know, be smart with your Jesus jukes. You don't have to be super cheesy, but, but don't be afraid to Jesus juke a conversation. Find some ways to talk about the gospel. Make gospel conversations normal. Uh, the third way we pass on the gospel is by faithfully knowing God, growing in him, showing him to others, and trusting God to do the work. One of my favorite verses is 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 6. It says, I water, no, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the growth. All our job is, is to be faithful. 
Our job is to present the truth, be clear in our life and in our words what the truth is, and God gives the growth. The, the results are off our shoulders. The burden of being faithful is on our shoulders, but the results are all up to God. We are called to be faithful. So as we finish well, as we pass on the gospel, we do all this as we, number three, look forward to our reward. Verse eight, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We are living for an eternal reward. We are living to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are living to receive a crown of righteousness that, will, that we will lay at our king's feet. We are living for our good and perfect Savior, Christ, the God who made us and who owns us, whom we have rebelled against, but who died for his enemies so that they could know God. We are living for that Savior with our eyes fixed on him. And that's how we pass on the gospel, and that's how we finish well in the gospel. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We can only run this race with our eyes fixed on Christ. Our king who went to the cross endured the shame for the joy that was set before him. There is eternal joy set before you and me. And one day there will be no more sickness, sadness, sin, or death, just joy as we're united with God forever and ever, tasting the immeasurable riches of his grace. So this is our reward. But those who don't know Christ will only see and receive his wrath and experience the wrath they deserve. So what are we going to do about it? Um, another Spurgeon quote. I probably hit my quota on Spurgeon quotes. I need to lay off. But another Spurgeon quote said, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, begging them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. If you know this Savior, there is hope like there was for Mark. If you don't know him, you can be like Mark and turn back and come to him today. But when, when you do know him, are we going to go all out to, to beg people to come to their Lord and escape the wrath that is to come. Um, as we close and reflect, are you, just a quick question, are you running your race well? Uh, James says, your life is a vapor. It's here for a second, 
in the scheme of eternity. It's here for a second and it's gone. The only reason you have your next breath is because God gave it to you. So take that breath and run to Christ. Take that breath and live for Christ. Take that breath and show Christ to those around you. Be faithful, pass on the gospel. Be encouraged by your great reward. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.